Welcome to the Remote First Podcast. Every week we invite guests from large or innovative companies to share their insights on enabling an equitable and distributed workplace experience. I'm your host, Daphne Laforêt. Hi there, welcome to another episode of the Remote First Podcast. Today I am with Brittany Songs, Remote First Onboarding Manager at Simprest in Vista. Simprest went from being completely office-centric culture to a remote first culture, and it was quite a journey. Today, they work on creating the best remote work experience and develop their own 100 days remote onboarding program. Thank you for joining, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, it's really nice to have you, you know, coming from a background of Simpress, which is quite a big, big company, you know, that you wouldn't think about it being a company that would go fully remote or remote first. You know, it's kind of, you were saying, I think we had a discussion in the past that how Simpress was more of a remote adverse company in the past and became a remote first. Can you tell me more about that experience of transitioning from being more of an office centric company to remote right now? Yeah, so like so many, you know, we really, you know, loved our offices for our first 25 years, but we really didn't know anything else. And, you know, like so many, you know, went into remote first working during the pandemic and ultimately committed to going remote first in August 2020 and kicked that off in October 2020. So in August of 2020, we started up a cross-functional project team that began an explicit strategy to transition from pandemic remote first working to permanent remote first. Again, with that goal of making remote first the towering strength of our culture and a competitive advantage. And it really was the result of our team member feedback. So about 82% of our team members agreed and still agree that remote first will be good for them over the long term. So those extensive feedback opportunities and data collection helped us and continues to help us keep a pulse on our progress in that transition to remote first working. So why did you choose to do the permanent remote first? Like what was that kind of click of like, actually, this is not a temporary thing. Like we have to commit to this for much more long term. Yeah, it really was the result of our team member feedback. So, you know, early on in the pandemic, we were sending out a survey to our team members, asking them, you know, how they were doing with remote first working and whether or not they felt like it would be good for them over the long term. And the feedback overwhelmingly was so positive that we decided to make that transition to permanent remote first working. So is there only a part of the employees, actually, I guess, because you have kind of big part of the company that is manufacturer based. Can you explain a bit more like how it works at Simpress? Like, how does it work for who is remote first, who is not? Like, how does it work? Yeah, so we do have some team members that are still site-based or an office-centric or are office-centric. And that's really because their roles require them to work in an office or be site-based. So for example, we have a number of team members that work at our manufacturing facilities, and they, of course, can't be remote first, so they're not. So the team, any team member that can be remote first is more or less now remote first. So we've got about 2,000 remote first team members globally. Okay, when you say remote first, what does it mean at Simpress to be remote first? Yeah, so at Simpress, being remote first means that your place of work is not an office. So your place of work is maybe your home office, or maybe you are somebody that is considered, you know, a remote working nomad. So you like to work in many different locations. So you're constantly traveling and working from a new location, you know, day to day or week to week or month to month. So that's, it's very simple for us. Remote first just simply means that your office is, you know, your home or wherever you make it and not a physical office space. 
Right. Do they still have an option to work in one of the Simpers offices or is it kind of a choice that once they are remote first, they, they don't have access to the office? So we do have collaboration centers in many locations across the globe. For us, remote first is not remote only. So mm-hmm. there is still, of course, that benefit from gathering together in person, but it is optional and not everyone is close by to a collaboration center. So currently um, in the United States, for example, we have a couple of collaboration centers in Massachusetts. We also have a partnership with WeWork. So we are running a pilot right now that allows some of our team members to work from a WeWork location if they'd like to. But again, it is optional and up to our remote first team members in terms of whether or not they want to utilize those spaces. Okay. And is there still employees that work in office that collaborate with employees who are remote first? We do still, yes, have some team members that do work in an office as a part of the function of their role. So for example, at some of our collaboration centers, we do have, you know, facilities team members that work on site. So it's a requirement of their role that they do work. Do they collaborate? Do they collaborate with other team members that are remote? For example, I think I didn't ask correctly my question. Is there a way that employees that are working in the office also collaborate sometime with people who are remote, like where they are in fact in a hybrid setup? Yeah. So we do have team members who are based in the office, but still collaborate with our remote first team members using the same tools that we use with our remote first team member population. But as a function of their role, they're required to be site-based or in an office. Right. Okay. Okay. So if they are working in an office and they have kind of the office culture, what kind of adjustment do you have to do to make sure that, you know, the remote first employees is current and included in that setup, that they are all on the same terrain, let's say? Yeah, so I don't think there's much of a difference from before we went remote first. So prior to remote first, we had team members, you know, all across the United States, all across the globe. So we were leveraging a lot of communication and collaboration tools that allowed people who weren't in the same physical office mm-hmm. space to work together. So we're continuing to leverage those same tools and some new tools that we've added as a result of Remote First to ensure that there is effective communication and collaboration with people who aren't in the same physical space as one another. Mm. And what kind of adjustment have you done in the processes, you know, the things that we've implemented recently that you say you've been adding more tools, maybe you're, you changed some processes, like what kind of things that came up as the most important to adjust? Yeah, so I think one of the tools that we implemented that's been very effective is a tool called Miro, which is a bit of a whiteboarding tool. So it just allows mm-hmm. people to collaborate, you know, all at the same time as they might if they were in person together. We've also recently in the last year launched a learning management system. So 360 Learning is another tool that we work with. It doesn't necessarily allow people to better collaborate together, but it does allow people to I guess, consume content at a time that works best for them. So if there is, you know, a training that, you know, you want your whole team to review, but they're not all in the same physical space, you could assign everyone on your team, you know, a course to take within the learning management system, and they could then take that at a time that works best for them. And then everyone could hop on Zoom afterwards and talk about it live and talk about what they've learned. Right. And then what was the first thing that you implemented in terms of your processes to be able to enable a better, you know, remote first experience for the employees? So one of our first things that we did is we created a cross-functional project team and they ultimately began this explicit strategy to transition us from remote first working to permanent remote first. Again, Mm -hmm. with that goal of making remote first the strength of our culture and a competitive advantage. 
So one of the very first things that we implemented was our remote first handbook. So our remote first handbook is the single source of truth for how we work, where we communicate, you know, what we expect from each other and where to turn when you do have questions. And that remote first handbook is accessible by all of our remote first team members. They can all edit and contribute content to it. So if a remote first team member is on a page in the remote first handbook and they see something that's outdated or maybe there's an error on the page, they are able to edit that page themselves and it makes that update in real time once they save it. Mm, and did you implement such thing as well in other parts of the company? Like not just the handbook and maybe on other how people are actually working. Is there a way for them to collaborate the same way on the projects they're working on, for example? Well, I think there was not just, you know, implementing the remote first handbook, but we really had to look at all, look at almost everything in terms of how mm -hmm. we work and what we do and where we communicate and so on and so forth. So we ended up creating this remote first team member success team, which is now a team of eight people focused on onboarding, learning and development, communication and collaboration, and most recently knowledge management. So, you know, as you mentioned, communication and collaboration is one of those things. We really had to learn how to work remotely. And part of learning to work remotely was a developing this handbook, but also launching this learning management system with trainings to help people be, you know, better communicate and collaborate in a remote first setting. That's really, really good to hear. I'm really glad that I kind of like to be proud of all the work that you've been implementing there. It seems like you all did the right, you know, checklist of all the things that, you know, needs to be done in the transition. So I think it's, it's really good. And I've heard also in past conversation, we were, you know, chatting about how you implemented that 100 days program for remote onboarding. So I would really like us to kind of dive a little bit in that and then see how you could share that experience with the audience. Before we explain what the onboarding program is, can you already just tell me, is there differences the way you are onboarding people in remote first teams compared to those who are in office? Or are you trying to make something a bit like similar? There are some big differences in how we previously onboarded in person versus how we now onboard our remote first team members. So previously in-person onboarding was really limited to a single day of IT and HR sessions. And then after those sessions, it was really up to individual teams to continue on with um, onboarding their new team members. And our move to remote first really allowed us, again, to look at so many of our internal processes, including how we onboard our new team members. And as a result, we set out on this very audacious and ambitious journey to upgrade onboarding from a single day of orientation sessions to, you know, what we aim to be as a world-class 100-day onboarding program. Right. And then could you walk me through that onboarding program? How does it work? What happens? What is different for remote employees? Sure. For us, onboarding really kicks off when you accept your offer to join Simpress and Vista in a phase that many refer to as pre-boarding. So the time between when you accept your offer and your start date. So new team members receive an email soon after accepting their offer, welcoming them to the company and giving them a checklist of tasks they need to complete before they start, as well as setting expectations for their very first day at the company. Their manager also reaches out to them to welcome them to the company and the team and to discuss what technology setup they'll need to be successful. And then as new team members near their start date, they receive a welcome kit in the mail with branded swag so they can bring their company pride along with them to wherever they choose to work each day. 
Along in that pre-boarding journey, we also assign all new team members an onboarding buddy for their first four weeks at the company. So the assigned buddy is intentionally someone who is outside of their direct team that they can go to with questions and to learn about our company and our culture, while also having the chance to build a relationship with someone that they may not work with in their day-to-day. Buddies actually reach out to new team members the week before they start to introduce themselves. And then in addition to meeting for, you know, weekly for their first four weeks, they also attend and compete in a virtual scavenger hunt together. <laughs> That's nice. It's always nice to do this. And then there are, of course, other aspects of our onboarding program as well to help bring, you know, a sense of connection and belonging. New team members are grouped into cohorts according to their start date. So we run 26 cohorts per year with each starting biweekly. And all team members globally who start in the same two-week span are in the same cohort or the same group. So during their first 100 days, cohorts share a private Slack channel. They attend live sessions together over Zoom, and then they experience some asynchronous content together. Sounds brilliant. I'm, I, I would love to see it. Like I'd love to experience it. You know how because it's always interesting to see. You know how when we are applying onboarding philosophies of a very big company in the remote settings, how, you know, you're recreating the same feeling you would have if you were to walk in the office, but then create that experience in a remote setup. You know, how do you make people feel like they belong to Simpress? Is there specific things that you are doing in that whole onboarding that are kind of helping the employee feel more connected to the company? Apart from the buddy part, which is very it's a very good thing to have a buddy that is following you towards your onboarding. It makes a big difference. And really shout out on the idea of having someone who's outside of your team, is that your manager or is that someone who's going to be like having an impact on your tasks? You can really be vulnerable with that person. So I think that's like really a, a good idea. What are the other things that are helping the new employee feel slowly as they belong to the company and like kind of get the feel of the culture of Simpress? So we really look at this through multiple lenses. So first, um, through the use of those biweekly new hire cohorts I mentioned, you know, our new team members are really encouraged to build connection with other new team members that have started on or around the same start date as a way to start their networks at the company. Cohorts also share a private Slack channel where we post weekly engagement questions for these new team members to engage in asynchronously to get to know each other further. And then these cohorts attend social and learning sessions together, many of which offer the opportunity for smaller group discussions using the breakout room feature of Zoom. And then to expand those networks, we offer a monthly virtual water cooler session where we invite all new team members in their first 100 days to attend. And then attendees are broken into groups of three or four using, again, the breakout room feature of Zoom. They're provided with a list of icebreaker topics to discuss. And this encourages relationship building and socialization with more team members outside of one's direct cohort. We also encourage our team members to join communities like our employee resource groups or ERGs and other special interest groups that we have within the company. Great. And then in the idea of more the day-to-day work that they had to do in the first 100 days of their actual job, are you also part of that program there? Are you also kind of creating that onboarding journey for them? Or is that just kind of their department are in charge of that 100-day program there? 
So I'd say it's both their department as well as, you know, the remote first onboarding team. So it's important to us that we enable new team members to um, onboard and consume information when it is most convenient to them. So some of the asynchronous content that our new team members have access to include an onboarding program checklist that outlines all of the company tasks that need to be completed in their first 100 days at the company and a series of trainings with our learning management system, 360 Learning on topics including, you know, company history and strategy, IT configuration, you know, setting up your remote workspace, learning more about our benefits, and, you know, an unconscious bias training to name a few. And at the same time, each manager or team creates what we refer to as a role-specific onboarding plan. So that role-specific onboarding plan is usually a, you know, 90-day overview of what the new team member needs to complete or action to onboard to their new role specifically. And that role-specific onboarding plan and that onboarding checklist, I mentioned those two really go together in terms of best preparing the new team member to jump into their role as well as the company. Right. And then when you trial that program, you know, the 100-day program, the first time you started to be like, okay, we're going to do this. And we tried this with the working with the department, like what didn't work well? Like what were the first difficulties that you've seen? You were like, oh, we have to adjust something there. So I think some of the initial difficulties were just the concept that we were launching an extended onboarding program that would last 100 days. You know, as I mentioned before, our previous onboarding was really limited to, you know, one or two days. So that was an, I think, an adjustment with our teams that their new team members would be going through a longer onboarding program. When we first launched, we did pilot an onboarding buddy program that actually lasted the new team members' first 100 days. But the feedback that we received from our buddies and our new hires resulted in us actually shortening the buddy program to four weeks Mm -hmm. and then adding some additional content and resources for both buddies and new hires. And is there difficulties related to the fact that they were now working in a virtual environment only? Forgetting the pandemic struggles, as we know all the fact that we were working in a pandemic, but what were the things maybe that didn't work well now that they were working in a digital setup and that you had to readjust maybe culturally, the communication-wise, operation-wise, is there things that come to your mind? I think the one thing that comes to mind is just the concept of learning to work remotely. Again, you know, we were, you know, not previously a remote company, you know, like so many others, you know, we were just learning to work remotely. And I think that was initially probably the biggest adjustment that we saw is that working remotely was new for all of us. And then we all had to learn to become effective remote workers. And what was an effective remote worker? So I guess somebody that can leverage, you know, some of the tools so that they can, you know, work a nonlinear workday if they want to. So as I mentioned before, we have team members in so many different geographies. So we want to make sure that our team members can work at a time that works best for them. So, you know, learning more about asynchronous communication, you know, learning what the concept of a nonlinear workday is, and just promoting best practices along those lines. Wow. Like, to be honest, you know, Brittany, like, I'm so amazed by everything you're sharing with me. Like, I don't see my face because I'm just like nodding like, wow, this is good. This is good. This is good. I'm really like glad to hear all the things that you've put together. It's just very impressive. And, you know, I wish more and more companies were also taking it as seriously as you guys have took it and really 
take the time to really build the foundation work that needs to be done. It's a lot of work. What's probably quite a journey for you to do, go through all of this. It really is. But, you know, when you fully commit to remote first, you know, rather than like remaining indecisive, it really helps to, you know, start and make that successful transition. So I think sometimes the hardest part is, you know, committing to remote first. But, you know, after that, you know, I think the ball just really starts to roll. Hmm. And do you have like wishes for the future, you know, that you would, you wish for Simpress to continue, you know, iterating on to make maybe like the experience better, things that you would like to trial again? So I think for me specific to onboarding, you know, I would love to see us continue to optimize and enhance the current program based on metrics and team member feedback. We recently hit our one-year anniversary of the onboarding program launching and are really using this as an opportunity to deep dive into all of the content and draft out the improvements that we hope to make in the short and the long term. I think that's one of the things that really makes our program unique is that we are, we're very data-driven in the assessment of our, in our success. And we really assess the effectiveness of our onboarding program through our net promoter score and our employee engagement tool, and then other metrics and continuous feedback that we get from our team members. So we take that feedback and that data very seriously. I think the second wish I would have for 2022, just to make the onboarding program continuously better, is to build out um, more robust content and resources for our hiring managers. So managers play such a crucial role in ensuring that their new team members have a world-class onboarding experience, and we want to offer managers the training and the resources to be able to do so. What kind of training, you know, you would want to give hiring manager? What are the wishes for training there? So I think sometimes people forget just how important onboarding is. So I think part of it is that education on, you know, why we focus on onboarding and why it's important. And, you know, the data is out there to support that when new team members, you know, onboarding is done well, it reduces turnover, it increases engagement, it increases job satisfaction, among other things. So I think part of it is just that education of why onboarding is important. And then also the education of all the different resources that managers have available to them internally to help craft a successful role-specific onboarding plan, because that, of course, plays a very crucial part into the team member's success, is making sure that they know exactly what they need to do to onboard successfully to the role that they were hired into. Did you feel that hiring managers were struggling, you know, at being leaders in a virtual environment or like newly having their role that maybe they had in the office for a very long time and then suddenly having to do that remotely? Maybe there was more difficulty to engage with their new employees, that their new team members that were being onboarded? I don't know if it was necessarily like a struggle. I think it was just, you know, as we mentioned before, an adjustment. You know, we were all learning to work remotely or fully remotely for the very first time. And in reviewing the feedback from our new team members and our managers, we identified some of the gaps where they felt like they could potentially need more support. So I think they do a wonderful job of making our new team members feel welcome to the company and the team. But as I mentioned before, you know, we're constantly looking to optimize and enhance the program based off of like the metrics and the team member feedback. So we're always looking at ways just to make everything better as it pertains to new team member onboarding. I know I focus a lot on like, you know, what are the issues? What are the struggles? Because I think this is really where like we get to learn and we get to really have the best value from your experience is to know like, okay, so what were these gaps? And then like, 
what did you change there and everything. So when you did that whole onboarding and you were like, and it's often also what I see, you know, working with clients is like, you know, you build an onboarding program or more on the people side of things, but then the departments, you know, that also have to continue in working with the new employees afterwards, maybe that whole experience is not the same as the one that was built by the people team, for example, you know, like the experience might not be like as developed or they might need more help. Maybe I'm making myself clear, but basically what are the gaps that you've been seeing that needed Say you have so much data? And so like, what kind of feedback you got about like, this is difficult and we need help there. Yeah. So initially when we launched the concept of managers creating a role specific onboarding plan for their new hires, we wanted to give managers freedom within a framework. And what I mean by that is we essentially shared what we thought managers should include in their role-specific onboarding plan, but left it up to the manager to decide how they wanted to structure that onboarding plan for their new team member. And what we found is that managers needed a little bit more guidance in that. So instead of giving them that freedom within a framework, we actually created a downloadable template in Confluence that managers could download to their own Confluence space. And it had every single item that they needed to add into their role-specific onboarding plan and the template. So a manager could go through and just fill in the gaps or fill in the fields of what they needed to ensure that their new team member was onboarding in the best way possible into their new role. One of the other things that we came to realize is that some of our initial communications to our managers from the remote first onboarding team were a little bit too long. You know, I'm by nature a little bit of a wordy person, so really had to look at the overall, you know, UX design of these communications from the perspective of our managers who are, you know, very busy, but also very focused on giving their new team member the best possible experience. So we really had to redesign all of our communication, you know, reduce the length, reduce the number of words so they could go through and quickly action the tasks that were needed to set their team member up for success immediately. It's so easy to start writing long, long, long documentations, and then you end up having tons of documents to read and you you spend your day writing updates and writing documentation and reading documentation. And you're like, when is this going to end? So it's definitely something to work on, you know, trying to make information concise, like direct, maybe there's guidelines on the maximum of words for one document, or, you know, maybe writing more bullet points and structure with headlines instead of having like a big bulk of text of something to read through. That's interesting. Exactly. That That same feedback applies to our communications to our new team members as well, you know, especially once they've started. Because as a new team member, you know, you have information coming at you from so many different people and areas that it can be a little bit overwhelming at times. So how do we make our communications to our new hires after they start very concise and very clear on exactly what they need to complete and when they need to complete it by? Yeah, no, definitely. Anyway, you're doing quite a good job so far. Like I would really love to be like a little fly in the room or in the computer and just being able to like experience like what it is to join Singpress and in a big company like this, where there's a lot of, lot of, we say technical debt, but you know, when you've been like a fist centric or a while, you know, maybe it's paper debt, <laughs> you would call that kind of debt, but it's interesting to see like how you went over this and you were able to really dedicate commit to remote first. Apart from the onboarding program of the 100 Days of Project program, this is what really was your role to take care of that. What 
are, you know, on a high level, other programs that were done for the remote first work experience? Yeah, some other programs related to remote first, specifically outside of onboarding, is again the launch of our learning management system in August of 2021. That was a huge step in the right direction to ensure our team members can continuously learn within the organization. Continuous learning is just so crucial. I think for all companies, remote first or not, but especially important in a remote first setting where we're not all in the same time zone in the same office. So having access to that tool to be able to consume content when it works best for you. We also use Udemy for Business that provides a lot of our content within our learning management system, 360 Learning. In terms of communication and collaboration, our lead for communication and collaborate or remote first communication and collaboration stood up what we refer to as our remote first champion collective. So essentially it's a communication champion in different areas of the company to help promote a culture of dynamic collaboration where everything about, you know, how we work together really reflects our, what we call our remote first tenants and ultimately enables work-life harmony. And then currently, or most recently, we hired someone to our team who's focused on knowledge management. So really looking at like, where do you find this information? Because currently, you know, if you look at some of the data points, our team members are spending quite a bit of time searching for information, which is not necessarily the experience we want all of our team members to have. That's really awesome to hear. I think that we're already out of time for the podcast, but I am so excited to have had you on the show and to hear the experience of Synpress going remote first. Looking forward to follow along your journey, you know, how the company will evolve, you know, in one, two years and see more and more new programs that you will experiment. Thank you so much for being on the show, Brittany. It was really nice to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was great speaking with you. Thank you for tuning in to Remote First. You can find all links and show notes in the episode description. And if you found value in this show, we'd love your rating on your listening app of choice.